Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with Jennifer Romolini, author of Weird in a World That's Not, a career guide for misfits, fuck-ups, and failures. And she's the chief content officer? Officer of Shondaland, a new website which will be a must visit destination for you and formerly of Yahoo Shine, of Hello Giggles, of Lucky, of Time Out New York, which is where I know you from many years yes. ago. Hello and welcome. Hello and thank you for having me. Sure. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Um, it was interesting. So many interesting things in the book, but uh, I liked that you divulged that you had tried to publish a book numerous times before. Yes. I think for everyone who's trying to publish a book, that is uh, heartening to hear. Yes, and failed like catastrophically. You know, like I went out to 20 editors, every single one rejected it. Why? Well, I mean, look, it was 2008. It was, um, it was 2008, October 2008, like right around like the crash, you mm -hmm. know? I think like nobody was buying any books, so it was bad timing. And I had, it was really stupid, but I was also just so f filled with fear. I had held back on not finishing like my bio for the proposal for like three months. There was <laughs> no reason I didn't do it. Um, so when the book didn't sell, um, my the agent at the time, who's no longer my agent, was like, well, if you had got me that bio three months ago, we might have had a different result. Mm. I don't know. You know, it wasn't a fully fleshed idea. It was like I was turning a magazine article into a book. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was not super passionate about the topic. I just wanted to write a book. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that's a good that's a good place to start anything. You know, right. it's just like with like the end result in mind. Um, and now that I've written a book, I realize like that was the worst idea because I don't know how I would have sustained a topic that I didn't really love. What was the article you were trying to turn um, into a book? It was... Um, I was, oh God, I can't even, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> I I tried to stay positive for a month. Like I couldn't say <laughs> anything negative and I couldn't curse. And I, you know, I just had to be really upbeat. It was when I was the chill out editor uh -huh. at Time Out. Um, and it was harder than I imagined. So I was like, this should be turned into a book. Or like somebody said it to me at a party and, you know. Um, and it's funny. I, I'm glad I didn't write the book then. I, I think I would have said a lot of the things I was a lot younger. I think I would have said a lot of things I would have regretted. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the proposal had a lot of um, things about my family in it that were not especially generous <laughs> that I would have desperately regretted now. So I'm glad that I waited, you know, um, but at the time the rejection was terrible. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me that your parents were teenagers when they had you. Yes. Because I am like an 800-year-old mom, and I feel like that's the, that's where everything's trending. So you don't meet that many children of teenagers anymore. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are children being born to teenagers. Yes. Um, maybe we're this just not MTV in whole MTV shows the, about it. Yes. I think... <laughs> So I've heard, right? Um, although the teen pregnancy rate is going down. I was weirdly just editing an article about that today. Um, no, um, I think that, you know, it's it's unusual they were teenagers. It's unusual that they stayed together. They're still together, you know, 45 years later. Mm -hmm. um, and it's unusual that they didn't graduate high school, and but they have three kids who went on to all finish college and, you know, fairly successful. So it's a, you know, it's American dream story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I loved your book and I found it very inspirational. And so just for listeners who are like, wait, what's the book about? Although I feel like the title lays it out. But um, would you say your thesis is how to, or or the book is about how to have success? Because you've had a ton of success. Like you are super powerful female. Are you an executive? I, it's only, I, yeah, I've I only just learned that executive is like a very specific title. I don't really know. I feel like you are. I mean, one you're time an I, officer. One time I looked up. One time I looked up what Stedman does, Oprah's, Oprah's boyfriend, and it literally says businessman. So like, I don't know what anybody does. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm an executive. I mean, but that's the whole thing. Like, I don't feel like an executive. Mm-hmm. I'm just a normal person. I, I am a person who's really good at my job and I have learned to work systems and you know so I, I guess that I'm an executive I don't know executive just seems so like stuffy and, and Wonder Woman posy and like I should always be wearing a blazer like or have one like tattooed on my body I, I don't know I just <laughs> I, I don't know um Imagine if you had a blazer tattooed on your body yeah. and then you just wore like some frilly thing over it. Yeah. Top. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> just like a business lady outfit just like as a permanent tattooed tattoo. Under, yeah. Um I, I know the book is in some ways the book is an anti-career guide. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been reading a lot. I'd read, you know, I'm a very ambitious person. I'm a very competitive person and I'd read all those books and I always felt like they were very different from me. Um, and they didn't feel like they were written for me and they didn't really address the things that I needed to address about work, which is, you know, feeling really awkward, feeling really emotional around work, um, feeling anxious, feeling, you know, all of those things. I felt like it didn't really talk about how work makes you feel vulnerable Mm -hmm. and how offices are really strange and, you know, all just making your way through them and how inorganic it it feels and felt. And I also felt like um, they were painting this picture of success that, again, didn't feel like me. Um, And so I wanted to write a book that would have been helpful for me, Mm -hmm. I guess. And it's about how you can have success even if you feel like a misfit. That's right. So, and it it was very eye-opening for me and like the man... All my questions are happening at the same time. It's all right. right. I'm here. I want to get to the jealousy thing. But first, what I was, because that was like, oh my God, maybe I don't have to feel awful about having that like (laughs) fuck you feeling that I have. Because looking at Instagram right now is just making me miserable. Miserable. Oh my God. It's like vacation porn just over and (laughs) over and over again. Yes, me too. Yes. Um, So I want to talk about that. But what I was going to say is reading the book made me realize how much when and it's been a long time since i've gone into an interview situation especially right. in the journalism publishing realm years but how much walking into those situations it was always like how can i be what they are looking for and how can i hide that i am worried i'm not yes as opposed to going in and being like this is who i am is that is that a good match that's right that's right. So we, you know, we think about this a lot. I think in, in interviews, we think about it in the same way we think about love, right? And the first thing is, do they, you know, do they want me instead of do I want them? Right. And, and that's the, that's the change that needs to be made. And that's why people are always so on in interviews and like so intense and thirsty, you know, and it's like, okay, chill. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out if we can actually work together right. because if you get this job and you hate me or you hate like the style of working here, you're going to be miserable and I'm going to be miserable. So 
you know, flipping those, the way, flipping the way we think about things, the way we think about interviews, the way we think about, you know, careers and not trying to force ourselves into a slot that doesn't work for who we are really. And you mentioned that you, was it 23 interviews? 23. I got it on my 24th. I had the 24th interview. I got the job. Yeah. When you were in, in, uh, you, you weren't, you were not living in New York yet, but you no. were interviewing for media jobs in New York. And that reminded me, so I used to surf Media Bistro. Is okay. that where you would find out about interviews as well? I don't think Media Bistro existed. Oh, okay. I think it was, it was like a couple years behind. But yeah, I mean, I don't even, I mean, I was getting jobs from the Radcliffe, which then became the Columbia Publishing course. Um, basically, she was setting me up for these job interviews. That mm. was that was how it was happening. Um I didn't. I didn't know where to look. I mean, I yeah. don't know if there was a place to look before Media Bistro. And Media Bistro is no longer around. It was the woman. Do you know the woman who ran it? She was this like fabulous woman who wore a boa, boa. and now has millions of dollars. Yes, yes. <laughs> she wore a boa. Like that, that was her thing. That's what I remember. That was about her. Yes, her, her Donald Trump hair. Yes. It was. Uh, <laughs> but so so anyway. I would look for jobs there and then I would apply for them. This is when I moved to New York and I was freelancing. And it was like, I didn't even know what display meant, you know? And I also was not detail oriented, but I was applying for jobs where you had to write display copy and be, it's like, I didn't get all those jobs because they were absolutely the wrong jobs for me. And then when I finally did get hired full time, it's because it was doing something that I already knew how to do and was good at. That's right. That's right. That's right. And we're interested in, right? right? I mean, that's that's the third thing. I mean, look, everybody has to like buy food and like live in a, a home, you know, hopefully. Um, so we take jobs that, you know, we might not be perfect for us, but like you should try to get a job that is a good fit for you, right? you know? And I didn't realize that either. Like all those jobs I had and I was such a bad fit and – it was finally like actually Time Out New York was my first editing job and Time Out New York was such a good fit for me because everyone was a misfit. Mm-hmm. And we were allowed to sort of really fly the freak flag, you know? So you were the chill out editor. Yes. Chill out was like the sort of spiritual – how would you describe it? It was like, I don't know, like spas and massages and then like acid trip art, like <laughs> Woody Harrelson's movies. Like I smoked weed with him once at like the premiere of this movie. That Was that – was that for the pot issue? Yeah, maybe because I, I was working in the features well at that point. Maybe, yeah. maybe I um. It was a, it's a movie. I don't even remember the movie. I don't only I don't think I was stoned when I saw the movie, but it's a movie about him being vegan, and I remember him making like a chocolate pie <laughs> out of avocado. <laughs> and that's all I remember. Anyway, no. So that was my job, and it was the best job because I I literally went and like tried out massages and like talked to like really weird people and about like crystals it was awesome um <laughs> but i but think paid he, nothing uh, good yeah and i th- i remember when i first started there you were described to, i can't remember if you said this about yourself or if a coworker said this but that like she's the chill out, chill out editor she's the least chill person you'll meet <laughs> Is that how you would label yourself? Um, no, but I think I know exactly who label. I mean, yes, probably. for sure. But I know exactly. But it was who said, said with it. love. No, no, I said it, I know. It was, it was, I know it was probably James who said it. But anyway, yes, I am. Um, well, because what would happen is I had to do these listings, and in the back of every section there were listings, right? So it was like events that are going on in my realm, and 
people were so aggressive. These like hippies were so aggressive. <laughs> like, why is my secret light workshop not in the <laughs> and I would be on the phone with them and I'd be like, Look, you're not getting blood out of a stone. Like I was so aggressive. <laughs> so yes, I was not chill and I was like smoking and drinking all the time. Like it was I was like writing about healthy lifestyles, but certainly not living one. Um did we leave around the same time? Because my memory is that when I gave my two weeks, you were also in the process of leaving. I left in, I think it was... 2004. <laughs> no. Oh, maybe you left before me then. It was like 2007 or 2008. I think it was 2007. I know. I left I left earlier than that. I okay. think I left in 2005. Oh, were you that? But now this, this is very interesting <laughs> to the listeners who also worked at Time Out New York. <laughs> were you there before Brian was there? Yes, I oh. was. I was a Joe oh, Angio. Got- I was a Joe Angio person. Gotcha. I yes. was a Joe Angio hired per- person. Yes. And okay, so you left before everything changed. Yes. Isn't it crazy? Okay, <laughs> one more sentence on this, and then we're moving on to things <laughs> that are interesting to people who don't just work there. Isn't it crazy? That so many people that were there when we were there are still there. Like that gives me the bends when I think I, about it. I can't even imagine still being there. I mean, although I thought it was so hard to put out a weekly magazine, yeah. and now I work for the internet, and it's like I can't believe that I was like three stories a week this is impossible like and now i put out like at hello giggles we were putting out 40 a day you know so it's but no i can't believe people are still there but it goes to show that that place was such the right fit for some people Mm -hmm. it was a place where really misfits found a home and that's why people didn't move on right you know or haven't moved on see i didn't have the romantic feelings about it that you, it sounds like you did. Yeah. Um, I was very grateful for the job, but I was like, everyone here is very unfriendly and not very happy. Maybe that was the music section. No, I think that was, well, I mean, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, yes. Okay. We, we have to stop because now we could gossip about this for like yeah, another and 20 minutes. I know. But yes, I agree. And that's entirely why you felt that way. Okay. I was in like this delightful pod of right. people and it was like, I was next to the shopping people and there were like free candles coming in all the mm. time and like sex toys. And like, it was just like the, it was just hilarity and food and, you know, let's go out to dinner because we're going to review this restaurant. And yeah, no, where I worked was like the magazine equivalent of that wire monkey experiment where it's like if you don't show any kindness or nurturing like what happens to someone oh my god i bring up wire monkey to you my do? husband all the time <laughs> i'll be like oh my god it's like wire monkey i can't believe you just brought that up that's that one of crazy. my favorite things in the world to describe things because yes there's this experiment that like the monkey doesn't have a mom or any love so and like one monkey gets to like rub up against like a shearling and like the other monkey just gets like a wire <laughs> so sad wire monkey oh my god you were totally wire monkey and i was like the monkey who got the shearling yeah so jealousy let's talk about that because when i feel it and lately looking on instagram where it's like oh you just had a baby and you're shooting promos for your new national talk show go fuck yourself right (laughs) right right i'm like how many vacations are you gonna go on okay yeah um Because my thing is like, it's okay for your career to like settle down a bit when you just had a baby. Like that's what I tell myself to, you know. And so then when people are out there not doing that, it's like really tears me up. Um, And then I, but I, I haven't taken it and then transformed it into like, this is telling me about what my career, my ambition and passion is though. Can you talk a little bit about that 
just in general and your own experience with it? Well, I think that um, when we talk when we talk when we talk to people about like finding their path and what they want to do, uh, we it's always like inspiring and it's always like oh you know like follow your passion <laughs> and I'm like no follow your bad feelings like follow all your hate and your jealousy because that's what you like underneath that rock is what you actually want to do right. and. And that's still the way I operate. Like, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Like, I watched so many people publish books before I did, and I would get so mad. I'd be like, oh, fuck her. <laughs> and she's not even a good writer. And fuck that. And fuck, 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 right? And then one day I was just like, oh, the reason, like, I'm seething about this is because I really want to write a book. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I never, you know, that never went away. That desire never went away. And so then I just fucking did it. And like that feels so much better. And now I like I've learned that like like everything else, like it, nothing is like a magical solution. Like I feel very accomplished that I did it, but mm-hmm. it's not like I'm a different person, you know. And I think that we need to, at least I need to have as many experiences as possible, especially sort of following down the path of the things that make me jealous. And it was similar, you know, with Hello Giggles. I was working at Yahoo, and I was really jealous of all the women who were running women's sites that seemed more relevant Mm -hmm. you know like i was running i was i was i was definitely an executive at yahoo and i was running this giant thing that was like 42 million readers a month like no one gave a shit about it it was totally not relevant to anyone i knew's lives and i couldn't was it beauty what was it no it was oh god it was just everything it was just like a aggregator but then we also had original content it was like parenting health it was like all the Mm. the women's shit right i mean all the lifestyle shit is what i should say it was um parenting health beauty fashion i don't know what else and that was was it all under the rubric of shine yes okay so shine was basically like a women's magazine digital women's magazine like writ large because we also aggregated from all of the women's magazines all of the women's websites and then we had i had about 10 staffers who wrote content every day um so we had some original news stories but it it didn't feel cool mm-hmm. and it really bothered me and i was like well how do i fix this because i was watching myself get really jealous and you know i went after the hello giggles job they had never had an editor in chief before and i stalked them and i i went for it you know because i i also wanted to stay out here and it was the only website that was out here that seemed like in that line right you know so i don't know if that answered your question about jealousy but that's how it works for me yeah like right now what are the things that burn you up i mean i don't own a home and sometimes that really bothers me Mm. like sometimes i'm like yeah suckers i don't own a home look (laughs) at that leak i don't have to fix it you know but that kind of bums me out. But then I think that I have like this weird like arrested development that I don't really want to be an adult and own a home. Like it feels like way too much of a commitment. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think I want to write for TV. I don't know. Mm. You know, like, I mean, I just got, I just did a big thing, right? So I'm still sort of recovering from that. And I just got a big job. Right. So I think that I'm, I'm not jealous of anything right now because I'm just anxious about if I can do what's been, you know, put before me i feel like when you get jealous it's when you're bored Mm -hmm. right i feel like it's you've been doing something for a long time you're sort of in a rut but like you're comfortable and oh i have these benefits and all these vacation days and blah 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 blah. but you're like kind of stuck and um i feel like that's when you get the most jealous because 
you're really comfortable and who wants to go through the feeling of discomfort of uprooting yourself and going after something. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like, that's the rub of this idea that your jealousy is there to point you in a direction is like, but I don't want to have to like, I don't want to have to be vulnerable and pursue the thing that my jealousy is telling me I want. I want to just push it away. That's right. That's right. But I mean, look, I I think that in most of life, you have a choice whether to be bored or scared. And I'd rather be scared. That's really smart. You're so smart. My goodness. It's all the chill out stuff, right? (laughs) It's everything you learned. It's the crystals. I remember you wrote about going to a retreat where you couldn't talk. That's right. Silent meditation. 12 days. It was (laughs) nuts. That's insane it was the best thing i've ever done i wish i mean i have a kid now and I, so it's like and you're not allowed to be on the phone and you have to get like and i can't do that it, i can't not talk to my kid for 12 days but as soon as we're out of the zone when she needs me like this i'm going to do it again mm-hmm. it was such a reset it was like and I, I don't necessarily believe in this stuff like i was raised with a bunch of this stuff and i'm kind of skeptical about it you know like i was raised with like chakra candles and you know whatever all of it <laughs> um sage burning drum circles and I don't necessarily believe all of it, but this was just, you just sit with yourself for 12 days and like, there wasn't really like a a religion or spirituality to it. It was just silence. And I, I think that it was like having like, I don't know, five years of therapy in that 12, in that 12 days and I would totally do it again. Yeah. That was the first article I wrote for Time Out. So you talk, one of your biggest regrets was letting yourself be, would you say harassed? Pushed around? Definitely. Yeah, mistreated, pushed around, treated inappropriately, Mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, I don't know. It's like, it's hard to parse these things, right? I mean, there was a a person, a boss, who was treating me in a way that was inappropriate for sure. I don't know if you would call it sexual harassment. I don't know what that definition is. But, you know, I mean, he called me hot pants and he talked about women's vaginas with me and – he talked about how women should wear more fuck me pumps to work. Like, and it was, I feel like awful. it's not a stretch to say that's harassment. That's probably harassment, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I didn't do anything about it and I regret it so much. I like, I can't believe I'm, I'm a really strong person and I would never allow what happened to me to happen to anybody who worked for me. And if somebody came to me and advice, I'd say, report that fucker to HR. <laughs> And I didn't do it. And I was I was scared. I was scared of the power he had over me. I was the breadwinner at that point. And my husband was working, but it wasn't, you know, he wasn't making as much money as me. And we just moved to a new city. And I, you know, I just was scared. And I hate that. Mm-hmm. And I think I heard you say on another podcast, or I read you, I read this, you wrote this that you think that gen x is not does not handle these situations as well as millennials yeah yeah i think that i mean from my experience look this is totally anecdotal i haven't done any studies on this but i i think their tolerance for for that kind of uh, treatment is is pretty small Mm -hmm. and i i love them for it i mean i think that they they can be a little too self-protective, which gets them into trouble and, and think a little too much about their own needs in a workplace. And, right. and not all of them. Let's not generalize an entire generation. But from my experience, I, I've i seen people be a little 
too self-protective, a little too much about, you know, what they're getting out of a job um, instead of thinking, oh, this, I'm here for the job. The job doesn't need to be here for me. I've seen that imbalance, but in terms of sexual misconduct, in terms of being harassed, abused, I mean, they speak up for themselves as they should. I think it's definitely my generation of women who, you know, the sort of like our mothers just had to like suck it up and mm -hmm. take it. And I think that, you know, that was the residual that we were like, okay, you know, I'll push back a little bit here. Like I'll make little jokes. I'll be like, ha ha. Oh, great. You're funny. But like, I won't actually say anything directly. And I think that the only way that this kind of treatment in workplaces stops is if we all start speaking up and not tolerating it. Yeah. I mean, I think that I know my mother was raised this way and she mentioned to me the things her mother would say about it. But the idea that like a woman's power is you wield it in these like circuitous back channel ways. Like you don't not, not in the way a man would. It's not about being bold and in anyone's face. Right. It's about like, I don't even know what right. kind of like downplaying what you need and then like secretly amassing the power, but never actually doing anything with it. Like this weird sort of, that was like her mother's way. And, right. But that – like I'm aware of that whole way of thinking. And yeah. I think that I'm very much a people pleaser and I don't want to make waves. Yeah. No. I, I mean these are very typical female behaviors yeah. and female characteristics. Um, and I'm not really – I mean I, not that I'm not a people, people pleaser but I'm a very direct person and I can – I'm very assertive and, you know, I, I say what's on my mind and I really try to cut through the bullshit because I'm an efficient person and I just want to get from A to B as quickly as possible. Um, but over the years of my career, I've had complaints about that behavior. I've been called aggressive. I've been told to tone it down. I've been, you know, and I've had to kind of figure out and really sort of radically self-examine okay what part of this is true and what part of this is misogyny you know mm -hmm. and you know i did have to tone it down i had a chip on my shoulder i was aggressive i had a lot of class issues and you know and just a lot of anger and i needed to sort that out and now i think that i i'm not aggressive anymore i'm just assertive and if i got those complaints again i would be like fuck this this is sexism you know right. luckily i've worked only for women for like the past five six years has that been deliberate i don't know if it was deliberate but i will say that i i mean this time for sure i i really didn't want <clears throat> to go back to another job in content and i think the only person who could have lured me back online is shonda rhimes mm -hmm. like so this was definitely deliberate i was like this is a person who i respect and admire and it was a badass and i totally want to learn from her had you met her before or did i hadn't Okay, so you took time off to write the book. I did, and then, but but in the book, you say by the t you know by the time you're reading this, I'll probably be at my next thing. So you knew you were going to go back, right? Well, no, I finished those edits. Oh, I was finished those edits, hired. and I was I was kind of I was in the hiring process with her. I actually didn't know I was going to go back. I kind of had envisioned. Um, this fantasy life where I would be like writing and teaching and speaking and like have this really loose schedule and, you know, like wear sweatpants most of the time and like <laughs> be with my kid a lot. 
And, um, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't how it played, mm-hmm. you know, you just don't know. So you just out of the blue got an email from Shonda Rhimes. I literally had just gotten back from New York. I had, I was turning in my final edits or I just turned in my final edits. I'd literally been in New York talking to my editors about how we were going to market the book and, um, got back and got an email from her. It was crazy. And, you know, I, I was like whiny about it. And I, you know, oh, I don't know if I want to go back to work because when you're alone, writing a writing creating it's it's a really weird raw space to be in mm-hmm. and you know in some ways it is just delightful and luxurious and wonderful to just be like oh i'm going to go back to the kitchen and eat whatever i want <laughs> you know and just kind of be disgusting and in other ways it's it's really isolating and you know lonely and and sad Right, so it's like it's both of these things. This is where I project. Yeah, would you say that you begin to feel, or it is easy in that position to feel irrelevant? Yes, even though you're working. Yes, yeah, totally. It's easy to feel irrelevant, and it's it's easy to lose perspective on everything. Like, what's my place in the world? Mm -hmm. Have I accomplished anything? Yes. Do I mean anything? Oh yes. Right. (laughs) I'm having all of this, (laughs) and I had started. I had started pitching a little bit, and I hadn't pitched in years Mm -hmm. because if I wanted to write something, I ran websites. I could just write. Um, so I'd started pitching, and I'd started getting a rejection here, rejection there, and I was like, oh fuck, I don't like this, you know. So I guess. As much as I say I didn't want a job, I guess I kind of really did. But these are the things like I don't think we know. I think that the best laid plans, all of it, I think that we're like, oh, I definitely want this. But then I don't I don't know. I think things happen and you're like, okay, now I've been presented with this opportunity. I'm going to take it or I'm not, you mm-hmm. know. But I don't think you can plan out your career as much as, you know, we're told you can. Right. And um, what – when she pursued you, like what did – what did she know you from? She, I guess she, she said, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I, you know, she said everyone, it was a, it was a really complimentary email and it said, everyone I know raves about you. Oh. And I was like, wait, how do we know anyone in common? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, I really was like, am I being punked? Like, this is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like called my husband, read it aloud, <laughs> you know, didn't even wait to like, say, you know, forward it. Um, and, you know, of course, that's complimentary. And of course, I was going to go in. But I felt really strange going into that interview. Mm-hmm. I felt really weird. And like all the things we just were talking about, like, I don't know. And then I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And what did she say to you? Like, what was here's what we want you to be doing? There was what nothing. Was the, okay. there, was, there was there was a project I think you might be good for. Uh, would you be open to coming in and talking? Um. And then I got on the phone with some people who are working with her and they told me that it was going to be a, a website and we sort of had, you know, a, a really nice exchange. They seemed really smart and then they sent me a list of questions, but the interview was the next day. So I didn't get to be my type A self, which I probably would have made like a PowerPoint and been like, <laughs> oh, let's go through it because I'm, right. <clears throat> again, ambitious and competitive. Um, so I just like answered these questions and read them like aloud, like we went through the questions in the interview and, you know, we just, it's, that's all comes down to chemistry. You know, we all really liked each other a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I kind of knew at the end of the interview that I was going to get the job and I gave them references and my references checked out and then I got it. And how long have you been, been working there now? Um, March. You guys are launching in the fall, right? Yep. And what can you say about what it'll be? 
<clears throat> well, I so, know there's already there's a newsletter that has gone. There's out. a newsletter, so if if you want to know what's going on with the website, the preview of the website is the newsletter. You can sign up at shondaland.com. Um, you know, I think that I don't want it to be a typical cookie cutter women's lifestyle website, and I don't think that Shonda Rhimes does either. Um, I want it to be really smart. What I've been saying about it is you know, high end, but not high brow. Mm -hmm. So I want it to feel really accessible. I think that this is a very interesting time to be doing a, any sort of content. And I, I want to capitalize on that because I think that so many people are feeling so helpless and frustrated and anxious. Um, and I think we will address those things head on, you know, with, we'll talk about activism and we're going to cover politics and we're going to have interviews with, you know, people that you know and love that Shonda will be conducting. Shonda's going to write for the site quite a bit. Um, and then we're going to go after writers that we just really love and whose work we really admire and have them help us define what this is and bring those voices into the site. You know, I don't think we're going to be afraid to write about shoes if it's a smartly written story about shoes. You know, I don't, I don't think that women's lifestyle content is inherently – stupid because it's something we all think about and talk about i mean i want to talk about tweezers you know what i mean like so it's fine it's just it which has are to... your favorite kind oh god because tweezer man aren't mine no mine neither all right but i have like this bit i don't understand how they all of a sudden aren't sharp anymore yeah i'm like how did this happen anyway i these are <laughs> <laughs> i wanted and want... also if you drop them do you have to throw them out what's the rule there because i've heard that but i feel like that's like that's what the companies will tell you but i've I've got oh, I've got three it, pairs wait, 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 in wait, 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 is that what it is when you drop them they stop working? They don't they no longer meet up as well. Oh my god. Potentially. <laughs> you just solved like a massive beauty mystery for me. Oh, well, there you go. I, I was like why have these stopped working? Anyway. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not afraid. I don't I'm not afraid to shy away from that stuff. I don't think we're going to be afraid to shy away from that, but it's it's not going to be insulting to the audience, mm -hmm. you know? It's not going to be like, here's how you must transform yourself, like the way so much women's right. content is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it, you know? Did you read that interview with the ousted Vogue, British Vogue editor? I didn't read the whole thing. I just read excerpts. I saw it today, but I didn't, I didn't tell me what, what. Well, she said that she had stopped um, reading Vogue and maybe she was just too close to it, but in general, it kind of the whole like it's just too, the clothes are too expensive, and people don't need. This is my paraphrase right. of what of the excerpts. Like people don't need the things that the magazine is trying to sell them, so it just became this game of like trying to how do you convince people they need this stuff? And right, uh, I don't know. I guess like the interview was up, and then they it was taken down because it was so inflammatory, and then it went back up. Oh, somewhere or people screenshotted it. Yikes. I don't know. Um, yeah, yikes! Oh, poor poor practices. Um, I look. I worked for Lucky Magazine for a long time. We had to sell a lot of things. I've probably written conservatively 25,000 captions about clothing mm -hmm. and accessories. Um, one thing that Kim Franz, who I'm a big fan of, always said was, we don't talk down to the audience. We don't make them feel bad about themselves. We don't like, even if I, I would say something like, these white pants are the best pants, you'd be like, no, that's going to make them feel bad about all their other pants, you know? <laughs> it's going to make the pants feel bad. Exactly. It's just, it was the thing, you know? And it was like, why are we spending so much time on this caption about white pants yeah but 
she was very precise. And there was, you know, that was so important. And I learned so much from her because of that. And also Lucky had a lot of different price points. Of course, we did have to write captions about $1,000 shoes that nobody should buy and nobody needed. But that was to keep the lights on because an advertiser was there. You know what I mean? Like you have to make those choices and they weren't the ugliest pair of $1,000 shoes. And we talked about them the best we could. I think that being sensitive to where women are and understanding that women are going to buy shit and need to buy shit. And that's sort of part of our society, but thinking, Oh, maybe somebody needs a $37 pair of shoes instead of a $3,700 pair of shoes Mm -hmm. is important. Did you, I know that in the book you talk a bit about you somewhat, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, reluctantly took the lucky job because you were so happy at timeout. Yes. Well, I mean, look, timeout paid no money, as you know. Yeah. It was like it was like making zero dollars. And by the way, in your book, you say never accept the first offer. When Joe Angio, you know, offered me the position and told me the amount, and he's like, "There, I, I, I forget what he said, but it was basically like that's the most I can get you." Yes. And I was just like, "Okay," <laughs> like Same. I didn't even try. Well, I didn't even. Well, I mean, but look. I feel like we probably could have because I know people who did negotiate there. But not for that much more. No. I mean, look, I mean, I'll just, I'll talk numbers. I went in, he offered me $35,000 and I got him up to $37,000. And I was like, whoa, fantastic. I think I started at 31.5. I mean, it was, it was not pretty. It was not, it was, it was, that was, you know. Which in New York is so expensive and also was then. (laughs) So it was really a a labor of love and a something that if you're smart, you use it as a launch pad. No, my, my rent was like $1,400. Like it was absurd that I, that like, that my rent took up like almost three weeks of paychecks. Mm -hmm. Like it was, you know, anyway, um, no, I do say you should never take the first offer. And that was something that took me a minute to learn. I really was like, Oh, that's how much this job pays. And then I got to places like lucky and realized like people were doing the same work as me and making tens of thousands yeah. of dollars more than I was. And when I was at Yahoo, there was a man who was doing the same job as me and not as well. And he was making $100,000 more than me. And I was like, I can't fucking believe this. I can't like, I'm not like greedy for money, but this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This is an insult. What did you do about it? Well, I, I did address it and I did actually wind up not getting my salary up that high because that's the reason you have to negotiate up front because you never will get that kind of a raise. I mean, usually not. Um, But I um, I addressed it and I wound up getting like some bonuses and some stock that weren't quite equivalent, but but, you know, got me close. Mm. And I'm glad that I kicked up a stink for that. Like it was was important to do that. Yeah, I found it. so my position at timeout changed and by the end I was making more than right. when I started. Um and it had been through promotions and various right. things, but then I found out that this guy that had been hired, I think we had the same title was making and I had brought him in making so much more than I was. And I went I, even though I think in your book you say this is not like don't negotiate this way. I went in to the editor yeah. um 
not Joe at this point. But I also look back on that job and I'm like, oh, I did so many things wrong. And I don't mean so many things wrong like shot myself in the foot. I could have gotten more. I mean right. so many things wrong like I conducted myself in a – like I didn't look at it like I'm here to do a job and here's how I fit into the whole thing. Right. I was just young and I was like – I'm a hot shot and I deserve this. And I mean, I was like a, probably a real asshole, even though I also think I was good at some stuff. Yeah. The whole, I mean, we, but we were babies. Yes. We were babies. Yeah. We don't know. Like, and also nobody told us. No, there That's was really the like, I think I was in terms of actual training. I was trained by an intern who was on her way out. And in terms of like career guidance training, no, there is none of that. You just learn as you go. You just learn as you go. I mean, that's that's really why I wrote the book. I started managing people and I was like, this is insane. The things you don't know, like allow me, (laughs) allow me to help you, you know? Um, no. So wait, so you went in. Oh yeah. So I went and I actually, I, I mentioned that I knew that this guy was making so much more than I was and we're doing the same job and blah, blah, blah. And I think another person there had advised me to like squeeze out tears. If you can get it, like tears will be good in this situation because they freak men out, which was so anathema to what I thought. Oh my God. I thought probably, and you would know who I'll Mm. tell you afterwards who it is. It's you, you would have known her. Um, Cause my thing would be like, be level-headed and, you know, agreeable and whatever. Oh, like this exactly idea of go in exactly. and cry. Tears would never work on her. I know exactly who it is. <laughs> um, but it actually worked. And he didn't bring me up to wh- what the other guy was making, but he brought me up like quite a bit. Well, not quite. He brought me up. For me, I was like, oh, great. That's like a pretty decent raise. Right. So the whole thing worked. Okay, that is the, I, I would never. I would it was never terrible rec- advice. I would never recommend anyone do any of that. Yeah. Well, because also, I've had people do that to me. And I'll say to them, look, it's, you're not getting a raise just because you're not getting a raise just because you negotiated badly and someone negotiated better. Yeah. Like you get a raise when you're doing more work. Now, I, th- yeah, in my defense, I think there was it was more than just hey he got this I deserve right. that. That was the emotion behind it. Right, but it was also like I had been my I had been converted to a different job okay and then they hired another person to do the same job so it was okay. like there were a lot of shifts in right. what my actual job when there's shifts was. when there's yeah. shifts is when you is when you can when you can get more money but you know look it's tricky and we all want more money all the time yeah. right and it's like I, yeah I, I but sorry yeah. i but what you were saying yeah. is you would you would never yeah no i agree wholeheartedly that was like a the whole thing was I'm I feel ashamed about the whole thing. But you were saying you would never advise someone to do that because you had people do that to you. I had people do that. I had people do that to me. I mean, I've had people do all kinds of things to me. Um, you know, th- th- look, th- here's the thing. You realize that you think that you are such a terrible employee for so long. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I screwed that up. Like you're right now talking to me and you're like, I'm so ashamed of that. Like then you become a manager and you're like, oh, wait, no, this is <laughs> this is actually bad. Like, I've had people pull so much stupid shit on me. Like, you know, just, hey, I'm going on a business trip. And they, like, book the Ritz and, like, a like a, a $2,500 flight. And I'm like, wait, who told you you could do right, this? You know, right. well, that was what was convenient for me. Mm. Like, you realize that people were not taught, like, basic, just not even business etiquette, like, etiquette. Like, people are just rude. And on the races thing... I I try to give as many raises as I can. I'm super generous with that kind of thing. I try to – I always tell people – I said, look, I always say, look, they're going to offer you this, but I think you can get this, so ask for this. Like mm. I always want women to get more money. Right. Um, 
But then the problem is, is that people don't trust that I've been honest with them. Like, right. I do believe Joe Angio couldn't have given me more money. I think his budget, I think their budget was like two cents. You know, yeah. I don't know how it changed after I left, but I think in those days it really was bad. Um, and I think that there is something to knowing when to let it go. And I also think there's something to knowing your value. That's what I was going to say before. Probably the reason you got that raise was because you were really valuable and the thought of you leaving was too much. So you're, you know, so understanding that mm-hmm. your value and your place in the company makes a big difference, I think. Right. So I flagged a couple things in the book that I wanted to ask you about. Let me see here. Um, oh, well, this I just wanted to read because uh, I just loved it. You were talking about how you don't like small talk. Yes. Uh, I like knowing how people really feel about things. Anything else makes me feel cagey and strange. Like we're living in the upside down. Like I am acting in a play called Ha Ha Ha. How's the weather? It's obvious you are not yourself right now. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> uh, have you always felt that way? Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, s- selfishly, I need to know, you really advocate people have a LinkedIn presence Yes. And that it's like current and stuff. Yes, I do. Can you say more about that? Because my LinkedIn is probably like my MySpace in that neglected. Look, it's not cool to say this. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't feel cool explaining this to you. Um, but here's the thing. Hiring managers look at LinkedIn. It's, that's what they do. And, you know, I had, even for this Shondaland job, I had seen, because I also pay for the extra LinkedIn where you can see everybody who's looking at you. Oh, but then don't you have to make it so that they can see who you look at too? You can change that in your settings. Really? <laughs> yes. This is horrifying for someone <laughs> like me to find out. Yes. So I know who lo- I know who's looked at my profile. I mean, unless they have, unless they have their settings secret, then I don't know. Right. Right. Um, so somebody at Shondaland had looked at my profile mm. like two weeks before they contacted me. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting, you know? And most of the jobs like I've gotten in the last couple of years, but even more than that, people I've sought out, I found on LinkedIn, right? And I think this is the way the world works now. I mean, not necessarily, like, I'm sure there are lots of industries where it doesn't work, but I think for most, like, office jobs. Right. I think you're right. This yeah. is the way it works. And also, it's like, it's just sort of like, it's kind of like having, like, an online business card. There you go. Mm-hmm. This is how to reach me. This is who I am. This is what I've done. Right. There's no other place that's really going to, I mean, I guess if you have a website, it's the same thing, but I feel like people don't search you on a website. Like if I'm looking for a copy editor, you're I'm not, not going to go gonna, to their site. Exactly. Right. If I'm looking for a copy editor, Los Angeles, I'm going to find you on LinkedIn. Right. So um, in the book, you talk about how you're not a like, look at me having it all person in regards to having a career and a child yes. that like no one really has it all. Um, I think I call it a a garbage word pile. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Can you talk a little bit though about what, um, it was like when you had a child, how that impacted your career, how you felt. And, and I, this is like very, the question is very motivated by, I am in the thick of it having just had a baby and just the sort of identity crisis that arises around that. Oh, I mean, it's, it's a cataclysm, right? I mean, it changes everything. Um, you know, this is not the case for everybody. This was the case for me. Um, I I became more focused um, in my career. I 
I found it easier to organize my time and prioritize because there was a hard out every day. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to do something that was going to be away from my kid, because I don't like being away from my kid, um, it was going to have to be worth it. It was going to have to be rewarding and I was going to have to be paid for it well. Mm -hmm. And I became more successful after I had a baby. I know this is not true for everyone, but I, I, I mean, I also had a situation where my boss quit the day after um, I got back from maternity leave. So I had a choice that I could have sort of laid back and like hung out in the mother's room or I could have went for her job and not going for her job would have meant the unknown and it would have meant, you know, anybody could have become my boss. The job could have really changed for me. The flexibility that I had built into this job could have changed for me. So I, I went after her job. So I did sort of like, you know, hit the gas mm. pretty hard as soon as I got back. And I was not really ready to do that. And I think that I I suffered a lot for it in that first year. I was I was I I had postpartum depression, but it, it hit me sort of later on. And I like was when? it hit me it hit me when she was about eight months old. Mm. And I really I think that I got really depressed and really dark and it was just like I had like work and a baby and work and a baby and work and a baby. And then eventually I crawled out of that hole and, you know, I got a good haircut and, you know, I just <laughs> I just you just keep moving on. It's none of this stuff's easy. Mm-hmm. And I I'm very frustrated by people who pretend like it is. I mean, I guess if you have all the help in the world, but still, even if you have all the, the help in the world, like you're still leaving your kid and that's mm-hmm. so visceral. And it's so primal. And I hate it every day. I hate it now. You know, she's in camp today. And I I just, I've been having these fantasies like, oh, God, I just want to be with her for a month in the summer. And I can't because I have to make money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows? If I was with her for a month, I would be like, oh, this is so boring. I'm dying. Like, <laughs> I can't play another, like, space game. But, you know, there's just no, there's no easy answer to any of this except to be really gentle with yourself to be patient with yourself, to be kind, to recognize that you're not going to have it all, that you're going to get some at different times, and to be as present as you can, both at work when you're enjoying your work and when you're with your kid, try to enjoy your kid. Mm -hmm. But this idea that we have to, when we're mothers, we have to talk about work and motherhood in the same space, like, I, I think it's so fucked up and I think it's demeaning and I don't think it has to happen. I don't think it happens with men. In what way do you mean talk about it in the same space? Well, this this idea of like having it all and work, work-life balance and all of that. And when I, I, you know, and I wrote this in the book, I think, I don't know if I wrote it in the book. I, I know I've talked about it, but when I was when I was looking for an agent for the book, all of the female agents I went to said, well, what's going to be the having it all section? Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't want there to be a having it all section because that's bullshit. And also because I want to separate who I am as a professional woman and motherhood Mm -hmm. because they are distinct. And I'm allowed to have a professional identity outside of motherhood. And it just pisses me off because I don't think this happens to men. I don't think that men have a baby and people are like, how are you you juggling it all? No. Right? I don't think so. So anyway, that's my rant. No, and – I think it's interesting. The other 
so my husband and I are in a mommy and daddy and me class and I was also okay. in a mommy and me class. So I'm like around a lot of people who have babies the same age. And it does seem like a lot of the men are having these career identity crises, but my sense is that it's not this, it's not as, it's not the existential identity crisis that the women are having or that I'm having at least it's, it is, it's sort of a like more of, probably a midlife crisis of like, okay, this is a marker in terms of dividing up my life and what have I achieved and where am I headed, et cetera. And provider things. Yeah. But like the idea of like, I have to be a provider, you know, that I think that kicks in for men when they have a kid, like, Oh, am I, am I a good enough provider? Right. And what, yeah, exactly. And like, how, where am I on the success, you know, meter versus the like, who, well, at least what I'm having, which is like, who am I now? Like I've been defined by my career for as long as I can remember. It is, it has been, you know, a source of joy and a thing that keeps me up at night and drives me insane. But it's really been like the thing that tethered me. Yeah. And now there's now I'm a mother and it's just confusing. And I, I, I definitely had that thought of like, have I traded it? Not like I've traded something in, but have I traded in being, am I trading in being really good at one thing for being mediocre at another? Like that's a fear I've had, but I'm not trading anything in, but just this like now my days are spent at the very beginning when I'm like, this motherhood thing is weird and it's not coming naturally. I mean, I love my baby, but it's not coming naturally to me. And how do I learn how to do this? And I don't know how to, you know, I'm past all that. No, 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 but I mean, look, I mean, that's the thing. The pressure's on us to be perfect too. Everything, just keep being perfect. Keep, you know, keep it up. Steady, steady, steady. Keep going, keep going. Keep your house clean. Keep your kid happy. You know, keep like... And all the small failures all day. Yeah. And like it all, like it rarely goes well, right? Like the right. wheels are always falling off the bus. Like the childcare falls through, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I think first off for you, just it's all temporary, right? Yeah. And this, your kid really needs you right now. And that changes. And, and it's so sad as it changes because you see them and like all of a sudden you're walking them into like preschool and then you're walking them into school and one day they're like, hey, don't walk me into school anymore. <laughs> and it is like heartbreaking, right? Yeah. So it's okay for that to be your focus right now. Like you have to take that pressure off yourself. The ambition is there. It's not like it's going to go away. And what if it did go away? What would be so terrible about right. that? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know. That's the thing. Success is whatever the fuck you want it to be. Like, and if success for you right now is trying to figure out how to be a mom, then that's fine. It's, it's fine. And I also think we have to build our life resumes at the same pace as our job resumes, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't know, as I, I myself hid behind work for a long time. And I don't think that I realized that until I quit to write the book. And I also had a whole new identity crisis because I was like, who am I without being a boss? Yeah. Who am I without employees? Who am I without this sort of like the ding, the success dings, like the dopamine ding of like, oh, we hit traffic metrics this, you know, we hit traffic goals this month. Ding, we did this. And that year was was really difficult for me because I had done the same thing. Work had really defined me and not working. I was just like, I'm amorphous. I don't know anything. <laughs> But, you know, that was an interesting challenge. Motherhood's an interesting challenge. I, you know, I, I want all of it. I'm greedy for life. That's really, that's really interesting. I, I'm relating to what you're saying so strongly. And it is like, I think that I'm like, 
I need those dopamine dings of success. Yeah. And it's not, it's because that's been a big thing I've been wondering lately. Like these unrealized dreams I have, do I want them because I want the experience of doing that particular thing or do I want them because I want to be a person who has achieved that? Right. You right. know, do I want the validation? Right. Achievement for achievement's sake. Yeah. Right. right. Totally. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I, I relate to that fully. I mean, Look, I think that what you were saying before, though, about like getting joy out of work and and pleasure, and I think that that's that's when you know you're doing the right thing, right? Like, I before I came over here, I was a little bit late because I was editing something, and I was I was getting great pleasure out of editing, and I I really enjoy what I do. You know, I get even writing writing is difficult and and, <laughs> and torture and everything, but I I still enjoy it, you know, and so. I think that's that's the thing. Is it is it is it bringing you joy? Is it bringing you happiness? It, it, if it is, then do it. But don't just do it to do it. Right, right. Um, let's do just me or everyone, which is a segment where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder: Is it just me or is it everyone? Uh, but first, I want to say, you guys, I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com is where you Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Excuse me, is where you go for that. Um, it's a fun way to support podcasts on an ongoing monthly basis. There's different reward levels. So there's a level where you get bonus episodes every month. There's a level where you uh, get access to an interactive video stream. There's a level where you get merchandise in the mail, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, And tons of access to me, like more than you want. You'll be like, please go away. It's too much you. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. Sometimes I ponder on something I Okay. Elisa Westring says, too lazy for nighttime routine, so I make bargains with myself. Example, if you brush your teeth, you can skip washing your face. Just me or everyone. I'm trying to think if I do that. I'm pretty good. Like, it's been years since I've slept with my makeup on. It's been yeah. a long time. I sleep with my makeup. I floss every night. You do? I floss every night. There That's the only thing I do. I don't wash my face. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I do this bargaining kind of thing. I, I bargain with myself about stuff throughout the day, but it's not really part of my going to bed routine. No, it's not That's part of my of going to bed. I mean, like, I'm so lazy when I go to bed. I barely, like, want to get up and pee, you know? Yeah. But I don't bargain. Right. Uh, Cameron Kelsall says, get irrationally angry when someone else parks directly in front of my house, even though I know I don't own the street. Um... I don't have that one, but there are, we have kind of a narrow driveway and there are people that will parallel park on either side of it with part of their car hanging in front. And that makes me insane. That makes me very mad. I do that. I I get irrationally angry when somebody parks. Well, you know what I hate is when somebody parks and they don't take up the right amount of space. Yes. (laughs) And you're just like, what are, what have inefficient parking? Yeah. That's it. It's like they left like three feet between them and like the, the driveway. Four cars could have fit here, but now it'll be. Three. Exactly. That makes me furious. I think I've been. I worried that I was that person the other day. And then I'm like, no, there's no way that this could have gone down differently. Uh, J Mose for a Rose says, anytime I have to lick an envelope, think of the Seinfeld episode and then wonder if I'm about to die. No, I don't do that. No. I don't think about it. I, I, I do hate. Like, I oh, like you do? It. I like licking envelopes. Oh, I hate it. I feel so sad that you don't get to lick stamps anymore. It's so weird. 
I, I think that's only me. <laughs> that might be, that might be it just you. Um, yeah, I appreciate the move towards adhesive when it comes to stamps. Jeff? I, I don't dislike licking stamps, but I don't miss the frustration of when you don't quite get the moisture right because you have to lick them lightly. Yes. And if you lick them more than lightly, then they don't stick and then you're pushing them and they yes. come off and they stick to yes. the palm of your hand. It's like yes. a real stamp design flaw. Like what's, oh, I guess if you lick it too much, then you've licked the adhesive off. I Why think, would it be flooded? I think because if you lick it lightly, then when you adhere it to the envelope, then it can dry quickly and adhere to the envelope. But if mm. you put too much moisture on it, then it's not drying quickly and then it will peel up or stick to your hand or whatever. I mean, just thinking about it, I can taste it on my tongue. No. It's making you like, ugh. Oh, see, I, 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 I'm into it and I'm like, oh, yay. Yeah. Interesting. But it never tasted great. They never had a great tasting stamp or envelope. I don't know, but it's like all of that, like all, like all those like rubber cement, like mm-hmm. that smell, like mm, yeah. it's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Are you into whiteout? Yeah, I was. I was into. I mean, wh- who uses whiteout? Does anyone? I don't think yeah. so. They don't even. I've I've seen like the new whiteout. Whatever. It's like a strip of tape or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Nobody uses whiteout. Whiteout was so fun. Right. I didn't realize until I saw it written that. Whiteout is just W I T E. Yes. Never well, my whole life, and I never knew that. <laughs> and it also is like a hyphen. Yeah, I think. Uh, what are your other favorite up. office supplies? I mean, rubber cement is is a high high. Do you for me. use that often? No, but I used to. I was a big collager. Mm. Yeah, you're a list maker too. Yes, I'm a list maker. Lists, lots of lists. Do you have? Are you organized with your list making? Because reading your book. I was like, I gotta make some lists. <laughs> and then I'm like, but this just this is this this is the stage of postpartum that I'm in yeah. of like <sighs> seems like work to figure out where to write them though. <laughs> no, I get that. And okay. also I've never finished a notebook. Like I'm I have so many notebooks going yeah. at once. I'm a, no, I'm a very disorganized person. I because I was a waitress for so long, I can keep a lot of things in my head. Which is good because I'm bad at I'm bad at all like I all of those tricks organize like mm-hmm. I can't I look at people I'm like Excel spreadsheets are you crazy you know like <laughs> right but yes no um but I do make lists because especially if I have a lot to do it's the only way if I see it and I see it starting to go away I can feel better about right, it right right but you make lists in terms of like career goals I do. And those, is this a haphazard back of the envelope kind of thing? Or is it like, do you have a special... It can be back, it can be back okay. of the envelope. Oh, yeah. I'm totally a Are back of the envelope. Of bullet journaling? Oh, God. Hashtag Bujo. No. Oh. Oh, you don't know no, about I it? I don't know. Is it great? What is it? I don't do it. But I just recently thought, I don't know who I am. Maybe I could be a person who bullet journals. I. This is not going to be the correct definition. This is my understanding of it okay. based on like clicking on the hashtag and looking it up. It's like you get a notebook and you get a bunch of colored pencils, which yes. already, I mean, yeah. already, I don't have. I don't do have adult time. color? Are you an adult color? I have a couple adult coloring books, but I don't do them. <laughs> Did you get them because you were pregnant and someone was like, hey, when you're in labor, you're going to want to color in coloring oh, books. Oh, no. No one ever said it was going to be a labor thing, but yes. I did do it when I was pregnant. I'm just like, this seems like a, a good thing to channel my energy into or something. Or like, I would like to remember the joy of but yeah i never no somebody told me that i should color while i was when i was in labor and i was like i when i was in labor i was like are they fucking kidding (laughs) you'd like this this snap the pen exactly yeah yeah. i can't imagine something i could have done less 
yes. during labor. Anyway, I make I make you, okay. So wait, color, so it's so like colored okay, pencils. The, you have a notebook and you have colored pencils uh-huh. or pens, what have yes. you, and it's big blank pages, and you like write out your goals. And let's say it's like your career goals and your day to day goals and your something else goals, and you like make ba- like basically like festoon the page with all your hopes and dreams. And then it, there's some part that I don't know, but it's like at the end of the day you look and like the then you transfer them to a new page and like the stuff that makes it is stuff that you should still be focusing on and if it lets get stuff behind that teaches you something and i feel like there's also different spots in the notebook for like different types of jeff will you look up bullet journaling yeah i'm looking at it right now and uh i feel like i'm not doing an accurate representation of it yeah now I'm looking at it right now. I'm having a hard time making heads or tails of it. I think I need a bullet journal to sort out bullet <laughs> right. journaling. Um, here's the thing: like, if that works for you, fantastic, great. I'm happy for you. That would be way too much pressure and work yeah. for me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna look it up on Instagram. I'm just gonna type in bullet journal. No, I'm actually gonna do Bujo because the people who are using that tag are like super into it. That makes me not want to use it more. Bujo is is um, oh, okay. a little unsettling. Just look at. Here, just look a little bit at what you're seeing. It's like Pinterest or Etsy. Yeah, I mean, look, I I feel like in the time it would take me to do that, I could have maybe accomplished one of those goals. Right. Um, but I mean, look, I've if it's making you feel better, is it the secret? I mean, what is it? I've tried so many of these things in my in my many years. You know, <laughs> just none of them have stuck. And recently, I've just finally accepted my crappy system that I've sort of used for years. Okay. Like within the last week, I've just embraced it, which is I just take a piece of scrap paper, I tear it in half, and whatever the little project is, I just take notes on that. And when it's done, I tear it up and throw it out, and I feel really good. That's excellent. That's and a good system. And I, I just basically have three piles. And this is nothing I plan. Yeah. It's just the way it works out. I basically have three piles, and then I just kind of sort through them like big cards, and I look for something. When it's done, I tear it up and throw it out, and it's very satisfying. It's just... It looks, it looks a little yeah. horrible. It's yeah. so cutesy because yeah. there's this... I'm sorry. I'm picking on someone. Yeah, no. Let's not, let's not pick on them. All right, like, fine. Yeah, but she wrote beans on. and then drew a pot of beans next to it. I mean, actually, that's cute and fun. That's cute. You know what? Listen, my system... I mean, if you looked... Uh, I look like a serial killer. I have so many Post-its on my desk. I'm like, oh, I need to remember that. Post-its all over my screen. Like, I never... T- I'm like a hoarder. I <laughs> not like, look. This works for people. Bo- Bojo? Bujo? I don't Bujo or Bujo. I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's so French. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, okay, sorry. Okay. Moving on. Steven says, sometimes when I'm super bored, I log into Venmo and snoop on who is paying who for what and for how much. Have you done this? No, Are I you didn't on even Venmo? know. I've just recently gotten on Venmo, so I don't really understand Venmo. That but is my experience. Yes. I've only recently gotten on there too. And I'm like, this is a whole subculture. Because the thing where you have to write a note about who, like what, like a memo. Right. I'm like, there's a real language to this that I'm not in. So I'm just going to put an emoji of like a baby or a dog <laughs> because I, because it seems like there's is some language to Venmo and I don't yet know what it is. Oh, I just use the few because I'm always like, Oh my God, someone's spying on me. Right. Identity theft. And I, I just put the fewest words possible, like picks <laughs> shelves. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. But also I think like Venmo is like, I'm such a PayPal person, which mm. is so like old timey, I realize. But people are like, Venmo, I'm like, don't you have PayPal? Can we just do it that way? Yeah. But yeah. I was 
all about PayPal until I just switched to Venmo. I guess the benefit is that it's all on your phone. Yeah. Is that? I don't know. Are you on Venmo at all, Jeff? No. There's also like the Cash App. I don't know. There's oh, like I don't lots even, of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talk to Dad says, see a car that's the same model and color and wonder if it's mine, even if I'm driving it at the time. I have a thousand percent done that. I have a gray Prius. Like I would do that. If I, if I did that, <laughs> I would stop. never stop. Uh, let's see. Jennifer Tokaji says, people that have full voicemail boxes are maniacs, right? I have... I've been the person who's had a full voicemail box somewhat recently. I have. I have too. I try to, I do believe that people are like, I think you do seem like a maniac. You right? seem like your life's spinning out of yes, your control. Yes. I have a dear, dear friend who's, who's often is full her. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, this is so maddening because it also is the worst like user experience for right. people who love you. They're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. How do I, you know? And then you're like, <laughs> well, you could text, but. And then especially when you have to sit through a long outgoing message. Yeah. Yes. To, and then you're waiting for the beep and it's like, the mailbox is full. Yes. <laughs> oh, go fuck myself. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> totally. Especially I had my pre-message face on of like, hi, it's like, ah. Uh. Phone face is yeah. so funny. <laughs> Sooner Magic says, have spent good deal of time thinking about death row last meal, but never considered why I might be there to begin with. It's true. Often yeah, asked about the, yeah, never thought about that. Yeah. I don't even know what my death row last meal would be. Do you know what yours would be? My grandmother used to make eggplant parmesan, and I think that would mm. that might be it. I think mine what this wouldn't be what it is exclusively, but it would involve a lot of bread and a lot of butter. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz like that's a thing that if I'm at a restaurant and they have some amazing bread selection and butter, like if they and especially the butter too, then I'm like, I don't know. I definitely I, like to lose myself in that. Yeah, yeah. I think I would be totally indecisive about it, and I would be like, <laughs> I don't know, mashed potatoes, like, <laughs> right? That'd be like a good way to stall for more time. Yeah, you know? true. Uh, and lastly, Jam Freaking Tastic says, "Don't care for the new Verizon guy. Paul was better, but I'd never switch to Sprint. I don't really have strong feelings, except for the feeling that I think most people have, which is." What he's doing sprint now? Yeah, yeah. I don't have strong feelings either way. Yeah, I don't. I try not to watch commercials. I feel like I've mostly have them out of my life. That's good. Yeah, I um, I have a sort of unresponsive remote control that oh. involves like you got to be real precise with how you point it and, oh. where, and first and also it takes so many buttons to turn the television on, which my husband is not bothered by. I feel like I'm a Kathy cartoon right now. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I uh, sometimes I want to watch something and it's just too much work to turn it on and then it's too much work to fast forward. I sound like a real fun person. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's Look, there is madness in the DVR if, if the person who's running, who's controlling the remote control doesn't get it right. Yeah. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Would you just cut off like the first 10 <laughs> What are you doing? What, or they or they go too soon. You're like, why do I have to watch this fucking commercial? Like, that's the whole point of the DVR. It's, right. I, you're not going too far. I understand. When I do fast forward through the commercial break, I will hit I'll stop. I'll hit play again. Always way too soon because I'm so afraid I'm going to go too far. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole minefield. That is super impressive when somebody's working the DVR and they just stick to landing every time. Oh, it's yeah. really best. impressive. It's, it's the like, best. Had they practiced with this, this particular show before you got there? Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have a crib sheet where all the commercials are and how long they last. Amazing. No. Jennifer Romolini, it was so nice catching up with you. This was the best. Thank you. Before you go off air, 
I'm going to ask you the identity of a whole bunch of people that you spoke about in your book. I don't know if you'll tell me or not. We'll find out. (laughs) Um, Tell everyone where they can go to find you. And of course, they should go get the book. I will have a link to it in the episode summary. It's on Amazon. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, but tell them like pl- plug all plug all the things. Okay, the so um, in the fall we're going to be launching Shondaland. So Shondaland dot com. Um, that's where that is. I am J E N N Romolini at um, all the social medias. I have a website JenniferRomolini dot com, but I build it on the on a wedding website format. And so it still has some weird things. I don't know how to work Squarespace, but I do have a website um, and you can get the book on Amazon, obviously. Perfect. Jeff, where can we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe. iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know and Rose and Show. We had a good time, but now we gotta go.